This is Talks with Petrisal, and I'm your host, Petri. Today, our guest is Andrew Zinuk from Ukraine. Welcome. Hey, Petri. Good to see you. Thanks for inviting. How's it going there? We've been trying to do this interview almost for almost like a week, but there was some trouble for you to get to the office and we needed to reschedule and postpone it. So, so can you tell me what happened last week? Yeah, just a minor trouble. Well, it's minor trouble for Ukrainians, but probably a big thing for everyone else outside the country. So last week we had our flag day on 23rd and also Independence Day on 24th. And uh, our sick neighbors that was that's trying to destroy us, uh, they collected a lot of missiles around the country and they were preparing a massive strike on the entire country. And our interior force and all of the services tell us that, hey, don't, I'm actually based in Kiev. So we got the notice, not get anything close to the city downtown, stay away of uh, like tall buildings. And basically my office also is in the downtown. So we had the building closed for almost entire week. So I, get, I couldn't make it to the office to, uh, to talk to you. So that's, but it, fortunately for us, uh, our air defense system was working well. So we didn't have uh, any hit on the city directly was something just one hit uh, on the north of the city so it was was pretty okay no one was injured before we went live you mentioned that there was seven uh, signals coming uh, in the same day so what does it mean on, on you know in a regular day yes yeah, so like, uh, uh, basically we have this app and then you can hear on the streets the sirens and usually we have you know, like once, twice per night, and then maybe once, twice per day. And on 24th, there was seven. So literally, if you followed the rules, you would stay more time in the shelters than outside of the shelter, like a bomb shelter. But typically, people get used to them, uh, not staying in the shelter, and they playing safe, which is not uh, the best thing to do, not the safest thing to do. But if you, let's just imagine staying uh up to seven to ten hours in the shelter you cannot do stuff during the day right so you have to kind of de decide them and ma make a compromise with yourself like hey if you want to just stay super safe or you want to get also some things done and kind of go on with the life because you cannot live for you know six months in a shelter spending half of your day and half of your night it just ruins the plans the sleep cycle it's kind of mentally hard like initially when the war started and everything was kind of uncertain what's happening and like so on so forth i was trying to do like every time i hear every strike alarm going to the basement of the building to the parking lot like underneath the ground like minus third floor and you know trying you cannot work from there because there is no uh, connection no wi-fi you just sit basically the best you can do is like read the book right and then you come out and when it happens during the night you, you do it once, twice, then you do a couple times per week, and then you, your sleep cycle is off. And then during the daytime, you have the same. So it, it's kind of hard to operate in this mode. So you, at one point of time, I told myself, hey, like if it happens, it happens. I'm going to take my chances. Like if I hear ex close explosions next to me, I'm probably going to run for the shelter. I have my like kind of alarm backpack with me, with everything packed, you know, like the most ne necessary things. And then 
like that's going to be my uh, solution but uh, for now i'm just kind of keep living and doing what i do because otherwise you, you just you can go mad so what is it actually what do you do nowadays a uh, couple things uh I, i'm back uh, like was when the war started it was kind of uh, preparing for defense so you know digging trenches preparing cocktails molotov and all of this kind of funky stuff that you cannot tell uh, but then i was involved in volunteering we were bringing medical supplies from eu and delivering here to the hospitals on uh, like chernihiv on bucha the, the, like different cities that were like on a not on the front lines, but were like a, a basis uh, for the for this. Like mostly, it's like a surgical stuff and uh, for the like hospitals. Anyway, and now I'm back uh, to my trying to be back to my professional life. So I'm raising a small fund to uh, help Ukrainian startups uh, scale their traction. And there is like a big story behind of this because like everyone who woke up on the 24th of January like shocked with the uh, break the war that was broken right breaking so we had like startups lost their traction uh, there was like a lot of crazy stories with the startup founders some went uh, fighting and joined ukrainian military forces some relocated and basically now there is a lot of uh, cool stories about resilience about persistence about uh, a new silicon valley being born in the heart of east europe and it's probably going to be third the most vibrant ecosystem after silicon valley and uh, israeli tech scene can you tell some uh, stories now from the this summer or after the full full-scale invasion happened uh, in, in in february that because I, I know you've been and we can go that uh, a bit later in the, in the talk that uh, you know the ecosystem in Ukrainian ecosystem. You've been basically part of building it, and uh, obviously everything has changed uh, now. And, and this year is completely different. But the startups are still working, and and, and they are doing stuff. But uh, the circumstances are different. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, I mean, I'm part of the Ukrainian startup ecosystem and the venture ecosystem since 2017. Uh, when I joined the Ukrainian Venture Capital Association and also we launched Israeli family office investing in startups, fintech, blockchain, martech, uh, all sorts of the things and we were building the startup ecosystem and the uh, Ukrainian startup ecosystem was kind of growing pretty quickly so in 2021 we were on the 34th place uh, worldwide so it was pretty good and we were growing steadily from year to year for instance, uh, Ukrainian startup startups last year in 2021, they raised about $800 million, uh, which was 40% growth year over the year. So it's kind of, like, kind of a big jump, right, for the startup ecosystem. And the, like, uh, the fundraising that the startups were attracting money were growing like from 22% on average. And like last year was even was twice of that. And what happened this year, basically, a lot of startups uh, got into trouble because uh, their term sheets were revoked. Uh, we have a so-called Ukrainian Startup Fund. It's a government fund that is backed by World Bank and they're giving equity-free grants to the startups. It was launched in 2020 and they kind of boosted the ecosystem drastically. They became like number one 
uh, angel investor in in the country so uh, just to understand the scope in uh, two years they gave over like 135 i believe uh equity free grants 25k for pre-seed and 50k for seed uh, totaling about six point half million dollars and it's kind of boosted the ecosystem drastically because ecosystem itself uh, is lacking angel investments is, uh, is uh, lacking early stage funds out of 800 million 760 to be correct i believe from the last year that was raised only eight percent uh, were the checks for pre-seed and seed stages so it's very small but with the beginning of the war what happened like ukrainian startup fund it started uh, operating so they start stopped investing in the startups and even for a certain period of time they hold uh trenches of financing to the startups they already committed because every like the, the 50k on or even 25k check it's not uh, deposited right away it's per kpi is based that it's agreed with the startup right so even it hold it and part of their money was devoted to ukrainian army uh all of of course everything offline start stopped working all incubators accelerators like a friend of mine he's running a chain of incubators called 1991 open data incubator and they had the office in mariupol you can imagine what happened in mariupol right i just uh, watched yesterday uh the movie the documentary movie about mariupol uh, and about the story based on the story of one lady that uh what that was taking notes and it's just something unbelievable it's uh, the, the, uh, the movie is called on uh oh, sorry yeah the, uh, so it's anyway i'll give you the reference for the movie but it's something to like definitely to watch but not the, the topic of the time but just saying that like the whole ecosystem stopped and a lot of startups start reaching out to me like saying hey we have this trouble we lost traction our customers stopped paying us and like everyone was initially in a big trouble uh but slowly like month after month startup start some actually some founders went fighting and i'm also like a founder of equity crowdfunding platform and my partner and the, the main partner for this startup he's actually joined the military of ukraine so like and then that's a very close case to me i have the startup founders that were also joining you uh, but there's one uh, big startup pretty famous here and the, the like the main ceo and co-founder he's also went to, to join the military forces and it's that's not the rare thing here right but those who haven't joined the military forces so they relocated to kiev they relocated to the west of ukraine where it's uh considerably more safe uh if we, if we can call it safe these days but at least there is no kind of shelling from uh, low distance uh, multiple rocket systems from russia right it's just airstrikes uh and uh they, they keep working and progressing and we can there is like amazing stories for instance one of the founders is a good friend of mine uh nowadays he joined my i was running the startup incubator back in the time it's called uh, it was a european chain of incubators pre-team pre-idea stage and i helped them to open the offices here I was a managing director for two years so the guy he was working at henkel at the corporate office he uh, resigned joined me, uh, my first batch he did like several uh, pivots and he was one of the most stubborn guys you could ever meet he was like the most resilient and he did 
he changed three teams, pivoted three times, and then initially he find like the right, the, the right problem to solve and the right solution. And when the war started, he moved uh, to Chernihiv, where he's originally from. So it's uh, northeast from Kiev. And it was actually one of the directions the Russians were coming. So there was 30,000 troops going through the, the city. So they were trying to take the city quite fast and then advance in Kiev. And so he spent almost a month sitting in a basement, like just uh, trying to stay safe and avoid all of the shellings from uh, what was going down in the city. And then uh, when we defended the Kiev and the region, when the Russians withdraw, uh, so he moved to Lviv, and that's where we have met. And uh, long story short, uh, a couple of weeks ago, he managed to raise 250k from uh, uh, from Polish VC. And I think it's amazing. Like, from the VC standpoint of view, what better can be just finding the founders and the teams who manage kind of go through the war, go through the shock, keep the team, keep the product, and kind of keep going, uh, right? And there is a lot of stories like this. There is many startups I'm talking, and now I have a good deal flow of startups that actually, uh, have, everyone has a story, right? In terms of the content creation, everyone in the country has a story and everyone in the startup scene also have its own story where the war started, where if you've been, what happened and so on. But some stories are amazing. There is a startup that was keep uh, growing their attraction and now they have uh, in the September they will have about 30,000 MRR which is amazing right for the considering that the team was all the time in Ukraine uh, most of the cases what happened to the startups is that they lost traction especially those who had some uh, just Ukrainian market traction but they start looking uh, to the West to EU market or to the United States market or North America and they start getting the traction for so there is like b2b health tech startup the, the, we actually we were investing in them from the incubator and they also get industry investor and which was using their product they also lost the traction in ukraine and uh, the revenue but they managed to secure a couple lois and get the first client big corporate client in the european union it, it's also like considering the you have to volunteer you have to do a lot of stuff on the side and they have all this pressure coming from the situation here uh raising or getting the clients that's uh something very admirable so um how was the ecosystem before um you you i remember you mentioned that you were like 2017 coming to the uh, to the startup ecosystem and, and you saw, saw it uh, growing. There was a lot of also, uh, maybe not a lot, but you know, there was international uh, companies and, and interest coming to, and, and it, it, it was, you mentioned that uh, it became almost like a San Francisco, the new, new great thing to be, and, and you'll be living in New York, Boston, and, and different places already. So, you know, you, you have the comparison there. So. Is there still a bit of that wipe left? Uh, how, how far we off? I understand that the situation is different, but but you know, uh, can you still feel a bit of that uh, same same wipe? Even though everything the went. Uh, there's a couple things. Um, the startup ecosystems. I mean, from 2017, I moved back from New York to Kiev in 2014, just after uh, the revolution of dignity, and it was kind of 
the the vibe in the city in the country was kind of pessimistic and you know everyone was in a shock but slowly step by step the city started getting this vibe of the vibrant uh, very dynamic place and uh, you know traveling europe traveling across the world you always come to kiev and like oh i don't want to move anywhere i'm a big fan of the cocktail scene and the, the cocktails in kiev one of the best in the world the same for the electronic music they're saying like it's one of the best two cities in the world so it was super kind of uh super vibrant and uh, you could see a lot of people coming here and it's uh, also the for especially the co-working space in ukraine was amazing uh, you could not even imagine like how many very good co-workings we have in the city and they start opening like from 2014 15 the first one what was on the outskirts of kiev and everyone was like hell what is co-working why should we go there and then they start opening a prime like triple a locations and you know getting this community of everyone like super progressive youth and like tech people and now we have uh like a good chain that is even trying to uh, like go to different markets and open their business model right so and also to start creating this uh vibe for and place for gathering like uh and also attracting people that uh, we have a known founder from Estonia who opened his co-working in Ukraine and also invest in Ukrainian startups like startup wise guys to start sourcing a lot of the startups from Ukraine the startup incubator I was a managing director for it's also was uh, kind of the first their move to from west of Europe to to east of Europe and opening the location so a lot of players in the market start joining the startup ecosystem and filling the gaps that was missing because initially there were several attempts like to create the venture builders to create acceleration programs but there was a problem with there is a tech talent but there was missing a, a lot of education for founders how they should build the startup how like what's the rules in the jungle right with the ecosystem what the animals of the jungle and slowly like step by step this ecosystem start gaining the players and that were helping startups and spreading this education and knowledge and like with every time even like 2020 when ukrainian startup fund was open and i'm a member of selection committee when you see the startups pitching you see some very good startups with experienced founders and you see the like good ideas good founders but they don't know how to pitch they don't know how to produce the the deck and now with two years of uh, startup uh, Ukrainian startup working the startup fund working you see that the level of the pitches increased so much you can you can you can see that people were actually trying to to prepare they were reading like why a combinator stuff a lot of material so like the ecosystem is growing and also the capital is also in uh, coming in the only big gap that is still in the market is uh early stage especially like angel checks we have very limited amount of people who invest professionally as angel investors and there is also education for angel investors also missing uh which is a which is a big problem when ukrainian venture capital association we're bringing people from uh different uh angel business networks across the europe and uh, with the, even we put some uh educational courses but it's still kind of on the early early days and uh, needs to be growing and then when we're talking about like pre-seed stage investors there is all there is actually no funds that invest and even seed if we talk about more shift our attention to um, 
to venture uh, capital market, right? So there were early entrants like Aventures that started their fund 10 years ago when it was actually a family office. The founder, Andrei Kolodyuk, he moved from New York and he did some exit and uh, he started his fund, but it was a, like a family office structure. And then here and there, we started having some family offices being called VCs and they were investing. But uh, according to recent articles in Forbes Ukraine, uh, I believe that 10 out of the 10 uh, top venture funds, eight did on their entire life cycle from 12 to 14 deals. Which is uh, which is a joke, right? It's, it's, it's nothing, and it's just not because they're bad. They are good. They were trying to invest and taking a lot of risk because the ecosystem was not ready back in the day, right? Uh, but they're also it's because of their nature. They're not the true venture funds. It's the family offices, and if the guy who is the ma major LP in the fund has money, extra money, he invests. If not, they don't invest, right? And it's as simple as that. And uh, but the more you go towards uh, like later stage, the more capital there is available. And when we have very, two super large private equity funds, over one billion under the management, and there is more investors who are willing to invest kind of in a sa considerably safer deals, uh, like pre-IPO or Series A or post-Series A. But for the uh, younger guys who just starting their startups, it's actually still a hard place to be right now in Ukraine. And it's actually what I'm trying to accomplish here. I'm trying to bring here a classic Silicon Valley style venture fund that will be here not for 10 years and here will be here for 20 years and build the bridge between Ukraine and actually uh, Silicon Valley and uh, North America. That once I'm investing, I'm bringing with me uh, experienced VCs that will invest in the same deals with me and I will be kind of managing uh the deal flow here and then we can help the startup scale in in the states and there's a lot of attempts there were actually a lot of attempts to to start the venture funds but for like a proper venture fund but for many reasons as all gps know how what the pain in the butt is raising the fund and especially for the country with so much turbulence and uh, <laughs> having such a, a not lucky neighbor on our side, uh, let's put it in a soft way. Um, I'm trying to be nice today. Uh, so it, the, a lot of attempts failed. And now it's actually the time to have a good venture fund for for Ukrainian market because uh, a ecosystem will be, if you look forward, ecosystem will be super dynamic. Uh, European Union announced uh, a month ago, I believe, that they will invest 20 million euros in Ukrainian startup ecosystem and 60% will go towards equity-free grants to Ukrainian startups. So they will give uh, $12 million in equity-free with 60K, so it's 200 startups, right? It's a lot of, I know this the, this ecosystem super well, and that's a lot, like there is a lot of startups that will give a, a good chance kind of to make it to the next level. So that will be, and I think after the war, hopefully we're gonna uh, get rid of the Russians by the end of this year. So from next year, the ecosystem will kind of ri rise again and will be even twice uh, more dynamic than it was previously. Because it's kind of as a demand that was not satisfied, right? We're kind of sitting at homes working from 
from home offices or whatever the people are working from. But then we, we used to have a lot of meetups. Like even when I moved to west of Ukraine, I opened the co-working space just to kind of gather the people who relocated as myself, uh, IT professionals, startuppers, and we managed to have three uh, meetups in uh, under the three months. It was like two and a half months. We had three meetups and it was a blast. First meetup we had about 30 people coming and I was joking that if I lock everyone in, we could build the perfect Series A startup because there was everyone from backend developers, front-end, biz dev, sales, you know, everyone who is needed on a startup, like uh, project managers, product managers. Uh, and it was like the tiny city in the west of Ukraine. And and there's a lot of people who, re who relocated. So the people actually waiting for for them to have a more safer condition that they can go out and uh, actually start uh, building uh, even faster. Can you name some famous Ukrainian startups? They are even unicorns, so the people get a bit of an idea. That, uh... Yeah, I mean, everyone knows uh, uh, Grammarly, right? Uh, we have uh, Grammarly, we have uh, PeopleAI, that's uh, the also famous Ukrainian startup. Uh, for There is uh, actually Ukrainian Elon Musk, uh, the guy who, uh, who is building uh, Firefly, so it's also the unicorn. Um, what else? Uh, I think we have about 10 unicorns with Ukrainian uh, founders. And uh, uh, yeah, so we have a GitLab also. They valued now about 15 billion. Uh, there is uh, a Genesis. It's uh, also 1 billion. Overall, Ukrainian-born nationals, they rank in top 10 founders for US-based unicorns. So I think it's, uh, it's a pretty good number. Can you give us some estimate how many startups uh, there is in the market early stage? That's a good question. Um, we, uh, let's say, if, from, if I can speak from the numbers of Ukrainian startup fund, in uh, two years, there was all like over 1,000 applicants, even more. And uh, they invested in, I mean, 13, 15%, something like this. So now there is a program for Google for startups. Uh, they also have like over 200, 300 uh, startups applying. So like early stage. And from our fund, now in, in the funnel, we have about 100 startups. And with the fund that I'm now raising, it's called Brave Ukraine Fund. Uh, I want to invest in the 34 pre-seed stage startups that have actually traction on the Western market and uh, they need help kind of scaling. Uh, so now we have uh, also almost 100 uh, startups that uh, kind of reach out to us. So like the, the market itself is big. And I know a lot of founders now, there is a company, there will be big news on the market. I cannot spoil it. But there is, uh, you're going to hear it. Uh, it's one of the famous Ukrainian startups. Uh, it's, the exit is coming. Let's put it this way. Um, so there is a team that will be launching a new startup. And there is a lot of people who actually are exited or exiting and then will be launching new, new products. And they are way more experienced with every time. It's not the first time founders are going to be second time founders, right? And that's what actually where are we getting because as of now everyone was the first time founder 
and some of them were getting to the unicorn status and some of them were you know getting somewhere closer but what's interesting is that on average if we compare ukrainian startups to let's say their peers in the us it takes uh, it took ukrainian startups who became unicorns also uh, seven to eight years as on average it, it happens in the u.s market so which is a pretty good number uh, from the ecosystem that is still emerging have you seen any trends that uh, the ukrainian startup scene and the startups are particularly good in, in something you know i mean is, is it like a b2c or b2b or can you see that there's something where, where you know there's a tendency of, of having more startups and more successful ones? Uh, back in 2017 and 18, Ukraine was super strong on uh, blockchain startups and crypto. And we were among probably top three countries that uh, raised money. Uh, so that was pretty cool. And now the scene is still super vibrant. Uh, even the market changed. Also, uh, MarTech startups. Uh, very, there is a lot of them. Uh, we can see now the biggest thing out of Ukraine would be a drone, a drone uh, startups, and that's you know why. <laughs> but there is so many. There is probably over 100 teams doing drones, and uh, with different purpose. So, uh, there is a cool startup that uh, Culver Aviation is doing the like a drone startup that uh, can patrol the territory with a uh, uh, like a lot of different features uh there is a startup actually in my deal flow they doing a drone management uh, fleet management system and it's one one of the one of the pioneers in the market so like every farmer of a big agriculture company which wants to have their own fleet and manage it by themselves they can just use the uh the service and actually manage the fleet of the drones they don't need to order any other services so that's so now most of the startups are kind of the military shifted, but that's going to be super big. We have also the electric bikes coming. There's one very Delfast, very promising one. They have among the customers, they have the, I believe it's Mexico police, US police, like border control. They were actually doing some bikes, electric bikes for the military. It's very quiet, so it's very good for the military use purposes and on in general we are very good at b2b uh, be, and then it's because because of the nature uh, uh what i mean by this is uh, that ukraine is number three it outsource country and a lot of startup founders actually were working in it outsource or product companies and they were seeing the pro like working on the projects for large corporations right and they will see the niches which is missing and then after leaving the IT outsource bench they would say hey there is a problem I know that needs to be fixed and that's how they start the problem and getting the knowledge of this problem in the first place have you noticed and seen uh, I, I guess there's some things you cannot talk about or it's not wise to talk about but you know during this year that uh, like you say that the start has been adjusting to the military purposes and, and, and supporting the society now. Has there been some innovations or some stuff you know that is going to be like uh, really super uh, great, you know, when the war is over and, and they're shifting more maybe to the private sector needs? It's, it was completely like uh, unexpected and, and, you know, just came because of, you know, the situation happening. 
or any other stories you want to share, you know, besides the drone and the bikes? <laughs> uh, okay, we, we have the startups that helping uh, to identify the enemies and the faces that were committing crimes here. That's face recognition technologies. It's uh, working pretty well. There is startups also that helping to cal calculate the damage to the cities that was uh, done by bombing. And that's all will be in GAG and also to reparations for Russia to pay, uh, hopefully in the nearest future. Uh, also, VR startups, VR startups are helping a lot to train our soldiers using different tools from light to super heavy. And even for those that we don't have yet, but uh, we are preparing to get it and just for the political will to be there. So a lot of things we, we will be able to talk uh, afterwards, but I'm, pre I'm pretty excited. And it was a very interesting story when actually I was one of the investors, one of the few angel investors in Ukraine asked me to check on the startup, the VR, they are producing uh, actually one of the super famous VR startup here from Ukraine. Just don't want to go into details, not to not to spoil, right? But uh, I was checking and talking to the founder, and we kind of get a good bond. And then when uh, when the war started, friend of mine was helping uh, the military, and they was like, "Hey, I have this task to do." I'm like, "Oh, I know someone," and the guys are in the VR for you know for many many years. A kind of one of the pioneers on the market. They know everything about like the tools, the systems, and all of the software and the hardware. And we helped the military like right away, just kind of connecting a couple dots that, you know, I'm, <laughs> I was happy to, to be in the middle and I know the need and, uh, and demand for this. But th that will definitely, uh, that will definitely help Ukraine. And I wish I could talk more about this, but there's a lot of people who, who helping and also like the, for instance, the Starlink that helped a lot our country in terms of IT outsourced companies, because a lot when the in initial days of the war, a lot of uh, clients for the companies were afraid that the companies will not be able to work, right? Because they have no, will be not having any internet connection. And when, when the company starts saying, hey, we have a Starlink, they kind of the, the clientele got uh, kind of calmed down a bit and helping the, the military to have the, the connection. Uh, so a, a lot of, Things will will and are co cooking right now, and Ukraine is going through counteroffensive on the south of Ukraine. They just started today, so we're waiting for a lot of uh, big news, and uh, hopefully they will be super super positive, not just positive. And the startups are definitely playing a big role in this. And you describe a bit of uh, Ukraine because it's a huge country, so. The Western part is it's, it's different from other parts. And how, how does that look from the startup perspective? If somebody is interested of coming and, and starting to come involved with the ecosystem, so what are the places to go and, and what, what should be done first and where to check? Oh, no brainer is coming to Kiev, right? Kiev is num number one and it's the, the most vibrant. Uh, Lviv is probably number two. And especially now when all of the east and central of Ukraine moved to the west and the number one destination was Lviv. So the kind of, I feel like city is going to explode. It's just overpopulated. You cannot even park. You cannot even walk not to, to bump into someone. 
so if you come in now, you, you have to come to either Kiev or Lviv. Uh, but among other cities, it's uh, Kharkiv, it's Dnipro, Odessa. Uh, there is also they they picking up. Um, and from the, I would say that uh, just to answer your question because it's so <laughs> deep and we can talk for hours about how to to describe Ukraine. But Ukraine is uh, what I like about Ukraine. It changed a lot since uh, you know 2014, and if you look back. Like with more, the new generation of people is is here, right? And they are completely global-minded. They're so open-minded. So they're so brilliant. And you, it's even hard to kind of follow follow them because they start living in the like a, kind of their own universe, right? And, and and that's what Russia is trying to take away from us: this, this freedom. These people are completely free. They have they've never seen Soviet Union. They any they haven't seen the the bullshit of the Soviet Union and all of the hardness of the 90s. So they kind of uh, free spirits of the world. That, that, and they are true rebels. And if you see that now who is fighting on the uh, against the Russia, I believe uh, that the, the most of people who are fighting is people who out of uh, like 30, 33 years old and younger. So it's kind of the most. And then the senior positions are, of course, the more senior people. And a lot of people have the stories like this. That uh, in 2014 they went to a revolution of dignity in Kiev, and then the war started when the Russia attacked Ukraine. And then they just start uh, going and fighting as a volunteers. And then, like all of the time, they were in the uh, fighting. Uh, so we we've been preparing. And also, what is I was. There is a lot of stories like this. One of my friends, he's also joined an army, and but prior to that, he was uh, he just got a position as a CMO in one of the startups, the foreign startups, and that startup uh, still still keeps him uh, in a position. And I really respect this, like uh, startup founders and the startups who who also show in the position as as they do because it means a lot for the person know that he is okay, he's fighting right. But he still have a job to come back, and I've, I'm really grateful. There is a lot of stories like this, and I'm grateful for such startups that kind of support in any way as they can uh, our country. Uh, when we were prepping for this episode, we were also talking about a bit that uh, now it's easy to do recruitment as well because you you see clearly how people are performing and who's who and also forming teams and the unity is in a completely different level. Can you describe and tell something about that part of the, uh, of the, of the process and, and what's happening now and what do you have learned? Uh, there is the, the saying that uh, bright people shine in the dark, right? So now you can easily see uh, it's more obvious who is who. And the market itself changed because if we talk about, we can talk about uh, the like IT uh, part of the the market. So before the war, it was uh, employees market, and the companies were struggling kind of to hire, and it was even unhealthy for both and companies and employees because uh, IT specialists were jumping from company to the company and kind of you know it was creating this vicious circle of uh, <laughs> creating the bullshit because you, you cannot you know jump too high right you just there is a limit to all of this and uh, as a probably as the valuations of, of the startup in the in the us 
and especially with the Newman getting the unicorn status before even launching. <laughs> uh, so, the, with, so sometimes the madness has to stop, and I believe uh, the beginning of war was actually the thing that kind of changed the market and changed the sides of the table. So now there is, uh, there is, it, it's again becoming the market for uh, employer. And people have to kind of and deliver because a lot of people are, as everyone who was working remotely, kind of uh, working two jobs, three three jobs, which is which is also not not right thing to do. And uh, but there is a kind of like couple things on this. I was recently speaking to one of the investors from the U.S., but he has his uh, kind of also IT outstaffing business. And he's talking uh, to Ukrainian engineers, and they still want to have a, even more salary than previously. So some people haven't adjusted and kind of live still in this pattern that everything is growing and they can shift jobs. But most of the people come to their senses and uh, kind of that, that's that's changing. In terms of the startups and the, the teams, uh, I think it's, I wouldn't say that our startups were in a sweet spot before because ecosystem was still kind of young and growing there was it was not over flooded with the money so you know the start the startuppers and that's what actually is helping us and in the same time because they are hungry if you we can talk about uh, you know the hungriest startuppers the founders who uh, have their fire in the eyes and want to deliver and build uh that that's what that were ukrainians and that will be more even ukrainians because if you look at the job market in Ukraine right now, we have the uh, uh, assumption that about 50% uh, of the economy will be gone. So you, you cannot go and work anywhere, right? And if you previously were working in big corporation and you had some touch to a startup ecosystem, you know the problem that you can raise, uh, like fix. The, your only option, and, and probably if you were laid off, like you're the only solution in the closest term to use your brain it's to build a startup and there is nothing behind you there is just you know the the falling uh, falling grounds so you have to kind of build the startup and that's why we will see a lot of a kind of startup coming from, from ukraine and which is and it, which is not bad because it will bring to innovation and i believe overall it's going to be actually a new eastern european tiger in terms of the economy, but, but it's still uh, it's gonna take take some time. And actually, that's one of the reasons I'm also doing this small fund for Ukrainian pre-seed startups. It's actually to help them to get to the next round. And uh, of course, uh, the teams will are from Ukraine, right? So it also it will be helping Ukrainian economy, help to employ people, help to employ professional, and moreover, even to help them stay here because. Even Ukrainians, amazing everyone with, uh, you know, those who relocated to EU and 40% of them got jobs, right? But we still have someone to work here in the country and create the GDP and create the economy. So what I want to do is actually have people stay here, but build products globally. There is a good saying, so think globally, act locally. And this, I believe it's one of the good examples for this. Can you tell something about uh, e-services, what the Ukrainian government has been providing? That uh, That's quite advanced, even, uh, you know, me living in, in Estonia, and, and there's a lot of e-residency and, and stuff like that. But uh, what's happening there in Ukraine, and, and can, can you give sort of 
a bit of an idea for those who are listening in maybe New York, in US, how things are, you know, working at your end and, and you know, sure. the uh, level of sophistication, if, if Starlink is working, what else is working? Uh, you know, it, as the saying goes, it's better one time to see than 10, ten times to hear. So I invite everyone to come here and we're going to show you around. But uh, what we have here, it's a, it's a just a huge jump in terms of di digitalization of the country and the country services. So we have an app called DIA. So in translation, it's like an action. And you can have probably three dozens of services right now. You, you have your passport, you have your driver license, you can you have your driver registration. You have, uh, if you get a car speeding ticket, you can pay it right there and get a notification. You can, you have all of your documents on your child. You can open an LLC company now from DIA. And it takes, you know, minutes. You, as a private entrepreneur, you can also pay taxes. You can uh, get all of the services. There is like so much things you can do. And uh, the country is it's actually one of the driving factors that's changing Ukraine. Uh, because, I mean, I I'm not carrying my wallet with me. I have everything in my uh, cell phone. I can pay, I can shake my phone to pay the tip or just transfer the money to the body next to me. I can split, you know, the bill tens ways. And of course, I have everything like driver license, passport. And now the Ukraine did the first time with the Poland to exchange the uh, electronic passports. So now in Ukraine, uh, in Poland, Ukrainian electronic passports are recognized. How, how amazing is that? Right. So and it helps to create more and more services uh, from the government. So there is a lot of stuff. We can have a pulse on any question from from the government in the phone. It's not like uh, it's it's not official like as nationwide poll but at least government have a quick f feedback uh on a topic that it's arising right and can and can adjust its actions so i'm very very proud of what's going on and especially now ukraine is uh, has its own e-residence and recently we launched the, the project uh, dia city it's a special economic zone for the startups. And actually, I was part of the team that was developing. It's this early concept, the, the first presentation that was uh, delivered to the president. Uh, back in the day, it was uh, a year, a little bit over the year ago. I was a head of a large NGO called Professional Government Association of Ukraine. It's an umbrella organization that unites all uh, alumni of Western universities like Harvard, Oxford, all of like all of the kids that came back here and like uh, working here on the market. And uh, my board, I was head of the board and I have four members of the board working on this uh, on this very draft concept, which then became a concept and then it was turned into the bill. And now I believe they have, uh, I don't know, a couple dozens of companies that joined the special economic for uh, zone. So the country is changing and uh, after the war i believe it's going to be like double or triple the speed so you have to jump on the board and if you want to feel the freedom the true freedom uh, you have to come to ukraine because we are a country of free people uh was the digitalization uh, well 
what I'm getting is that let's talk about also the other part of uh, Ukraine, uh, the corruption and the things which are not working are, are still, you know, developing as well. So it's, it's not all great. And, and I guess that was one of the things which was, uh, well, the EU, the guys in the EU and the people in EU and, and you know, I know some of my friends even, they were like, okay, but this uh, Ukraine is quite corrupted and, and you know, it's, it's, it's a foreign place to go, so to speak. It's not like the rest of the EU where, where you know the eastern part where things got better after the Soviet Union uh, some more successful than others but uh, so so it's like a work in progress but um, so what's your take on that you know consider that somebody wants to come and start to build stuff maybe invest uh, what, what's to take into account what's the situation at the moment uh, it's a complex question and I believe with years the situation is getting better uh you have to understand something there is like before the war and all of the revolutions we there was one uh um what's the right wording for it a social agreement be between the citizens right uh and the government and now the social agreement is changing and after the end of the war no one's going to tolerate the the corruption because and no one's going to tolerate the injustice and it's part of the transformation that Ukraine is going uh, through at the moment and paying for this transformation and for their future with blood and tears and sweat. And uh, I believe uh, and Ukraine shown that their civil society is actually working. And uh, because Ukrainian volunteers were the first ones who gave a hand to Ukrainian army to defend and it was in 2014 and it happened now uh was pro providing was uh like producing even uh, uh bulletproof vessels providing drones providing medical supplies everything that was government slow dealing with because of other more probably more urgent things uh but anyhow that was the ukrainian civil society and the ukrainian civil civil society shown to be strong and uh, no one's gonna tolerate the corruption in the future and one of the biggest things that is still missing it's uh, judicial reform and it, it's an agenda for our eu partners and one of the biggest mistakes for poroshenko was he never fulfilled uh, actually the uh, judicial reform and it's very personal to me because there is a person in ukraine who was assassinated by uh acid split on the face and she was my class aspen classmate katarina handzuk so she was a deputy mayor of kherson which is now uh occupied and hopefully gonna be uh liberated soon uh but she uh, she was trying to oppose to the corruption to all of the bullshit that kind of bad people were doing right and she was uh the guy she was assassinated she had the one liter of acid put it in her face and we couldn't save her and uh, we transferred her from Kherson to Kiev uh, by uh, airplane and there was general prosecutor of Ukraine in his uh, in her uh, kind of hospital uh, room promising the justice and uh, like there was connection to to the top uh, kind of leaders of the country and they did nothing and, and that's kind of this personality How, do you believe that person like me who had this personal kind of string attached to this that will kind of will tolerate the, the corruption in this country and there is like more people who paid with 
you know, with their family members uh, because of the war. The, the, the things gonna gonna be changing. So there is should be a new. There will be a new uh, social agreement in this country, and that's uh, and that I believe the corruption will be actually the big part of it. They will not be tolerating. And the government is also working in terms of there is a new concept for tax system, 10-10-10. So they're trying to follow this model that they have in the US. You can avoid, you cannot avoid two things, paying taxes and death, right? And I believe that's where we that's what we have to do. And another thing that is changing the Ukraine in terms of the corruption, it's a reform of deregulation. It was a super successful reform. And just before the reform, if you are city governor or you're governor of the region or whatever kind of the government official on a senior position, you would go to Kiev and ask for money. You would beg, you would do something, and then you would get chunk of it, and then you would use it for your favor in the local. Now, uh, like a city mayor or a village mayor, they are motivated to have business and work it officially. So everyone knows each other, right? And if there is a, let's say, enterprise, 200 people, and only 10 people were working officially on a minimum wage and everything else was given in in cash. So now, because of the taxes stay locally, this governor, this local uh, official, they will come and say, hey, John, hey, you know, I know you have 200 people. Now we're going to have the plan slowly transforming you to, to the white company. And because it favors him, because he has more money to, you know, to create infrastructure, to do what he wants and stay in power. And it's, it's all money driven. It's not, you know, because they want, but the system is changing from, from the inside. And if you will travel Ukraine before the deregulation and now you just and check some villages, you would be super amazing, like Switzerland, probably, or like West Europe, you cannot, and they were changed over like five years. And, and it's all because of the reform. So the country is, is changing. Uh, I wish it was faster, but you cannot like uh, <laughs> you cannot deliver the baby faster, right? It takes it takes time, and uh, we have to pay the price, and we are paying that that, that price. But uh, for us, it's kind of uh, to a big reborn and uh, renewal of our f freedom for for the long time and putting us in a global context before tr trying to get away from the bad neighbor and mad neighbor. So the government services, the e-services are obviously helping with the corruption thing. It's, it's harder to do that because it's all digital and, and there's no envelopes involved. Um, how about um, the legal system then in regards to the startups and, uh, and, and the companies and, and uh, private equity and, and, and the, the whole system, what do you say that you want to bring the Silicon Valley style here? Is the is the is that legal system supporting that type of uh, you know the incentive structures for the employees and uh, and and all the all all the other bits which are pretty much in place in the EU and obviously in the in the US? So are there some differences to that? This may become like a shock if you're coming that oh it, it doesn't work like that. You assume that it it works the same way. Um, the quick question is: it's not there yet. Because all of the startups from Ukraine uh, incorporated, in most cases, if they target the EU market, it's Estonia, or if they target the North American market, it's Delaware, or it's the UK, right? It's uh, probably 
if you take this three, it's going to be 80% of the time or maybe 90% of the time. And it also comes because of the investor preferences, right? If you try to raise money for Ukrainian LLC in the US, everyone's uh, going to tell you you are crazy, right? And there's uh, no reason doing that, if, especially when your market is somewhere else. And this is part of the big problem for the country. And uh, there is... and missing uh, judicial reform and the court reform because we have to adopt uh, more of the English law and that w when this going to happen that's going to be a big uh, and A, it's one thing it's adopting on the paper B, it gain a trust of investors and show the general public that it's actually it's delivered and being executed as it, as it promised, right? And the, even for the DSCT, there was a big battle kind of to make in the special legal zone, which is not, not now realized, but, it, but it's in progress. And we're getting there because anyhow, Ukraine has only one direction towards uh, Western countries and civilized world. And we will rejoin the place where we sh should be, right? And, and that's this issue is going, is going to be solved. But for now, just not to talk like a politician, it's better to kind of have everything outside uh, and, until it's until, until it's fixed because uh, th there's still uh, you know the level of troubles comes there was the level of money uh, if you're talking the billions you're gonna or like super multi-million dollar business that can be some uh, some trouble and it's uh, unavoidable but there is also ways how to how to protect it if you structure it right uh, so there is a way how to how to do it right there is no saying hey open ukrainian llc or as are the form and you are safe no you have to do it smart you have to use uh, like uh, very cautious legal structure involving like uh, in international uh, company and then some uh, local companies and also like it also depends on the assets right well, for instance, why IT business in Ukraine was growing in the first place? Because back in the day, gov uh, government officials, the bad, corrupt government officials, didn't know uh, anything about IT. There were some weird guys sitting staring at the computer, right? And on the other hand side, the mafia that was kind of, you know, protecting and taking the the cut from every business, they also didn't get what is what it was. Some guys sitting there, right? If they understood how to control them, that would be the the story was not uh, would would be way different. So, but the situation is is changing, and for and for good, I can witness it for, from myself because I have, I have uh, like some small business here, and I never had any troubles. Uh, I'm doing like small startups also for the local market, and uh, you don't get you don't get the problem, and and especially the best thing in the Ukrainian market is to be transparent, because if you're not paying the taxes, if you're not if you're paying uh, the salaries on uh, in cash and not officially, then you can get easily get in trouble. You get a call from people who will ask you to uh, to share some to, for you uh, for them to protect you. But if you do it transparent, that's uh, that's the best solution, and the market is going this way. How is the physical safety? You know, someone who has never been to uh, Ukraine and, and thinking that uh, it's safe <laughs> to are there safe areas and and you know, just these simple questions. You know, 
what's your answer? Obviously, voice is different, but you know. I'll tell you, you it's super safe. In, prior to war, I, since 2014, I never was in a fight, never had any kind of scary situation that was threatening in my life. It, instead of uh, the case that happened to me in New York, back in the day when I lived in New York, um, I was one of the parties and a friend of mine, uh, she got drunk and I, <laughs> I was like a gentleman trying to kind of get her home safely. And she lived in uh, Bronx, like the last uh, subway train uh, on the north. And then you also take, we took a taxi and I almost died there because it was a kind of Afro-American ghetto. And I was like 3 a.m. Uh, in the morning. And I was walking and I hear the guys, like there was like probably, I don't know, five, six uh, people calling me, hey, Snowflake, hey, white ass. And like they had guns, they had knives. And the only thing that saved me it was kind of a, a bad Russian accent that I faked. So I was like, hey, you know what? <laughs> and I was like, I was thinking like I was, I was like outnumbered and outgunned. And I couldn't run that fast as the guys. But I had like this short haircut. The leather jacket so i was looking kind of and i'm like white slavic face right you cannot get away with this and i was like what should i do because i'm probably done here and i was like oh russian accent and i start faking it i was like i'm from brighton beach here on a mission you want to have a trouble with bratwa and like they believed it right and now i like I, I had to fake it you know like literally like my life was depending on it and it was so i was like kind of very aggressive and they decided like okay let's get get a not deal with this dude and i mean in, in the even in new york i was like in a couple fights like a bar fight when i was just standing and someone smashed me for no reason so and oh actually it was a funny story happened in the boston it was uh 2013 july 4th of july I stopped in the gas station and there was a guy who trying to steal some stuff from the uh, from the gas station and we asked him to and the, the waiter uh, the, on the register tell him hey i see you trying to get uh, steal, get all everything off your pockets and leave and he started smashing everything on the shelves and so like me and a couple uh, guys we just threw him out of the of the gas station and once we get on the car he jumped with the bat and started beating the car like <laughs> and then that was that was crazy like and you never have these stories in ukraine like uh so for it and then it's not even that you are i'm local and you're going to be a foreigner uh if you no not looking for the troubles directly right so the, the, the troubles is not going to come to you and it's uh, the Ukrainians are very friendly people. They're very nice and not, they're not rude. They're gonna try to to, to help you. So it's uh, I have my brother who's actually living in uh, Denmark. So the younger brother. So he was coming. He started coming here with his friends, Danish friends, and now they like per year they come in four or five times, and they love it so much. They stay here for like two weeks, three weeks. There is a lot of people who working from here remotely one of my best buddies he works for uh, for oil national company of uh, saudi arabia and he works from ukraine so most of the time he stays here then he goes there for like a couple of weeks and then comes here and a lot of people like doing like this because if we look for the quality of life per dollar that you have it's uncomparable what you get in the New York or even in the EU comparing to, to Ukraine.
can you give some idea of the price level differences? Uh, price level differences. Uh, if we talk upscale bar, cocktail bar, actually the one I showed you, right? Uh, from the, what it was, last two, two nights ago. So the cocktail is, it's the best in the city and probably in the country, right? So it costs the cocktail $10. Uh, 10, there is 12, there is 13. I mean, <laughs> tell me where in the New York uh, or London you're going to get the, the best cocktail in the city for 13, 14 bucks. It's going to be 20, 25, 35 for in the upscale places, right? The, the same was like with everything. And like the restaurants, the nice check for two person with wine. Of course, if you're not ordering something super super fancy but it's like hundred dollars and you are super f full and you, you don't you kind of have uh, the first the the entry the second the the dessert the wine and it's just a couple glasses of wine so the the, the price is and is the ended like also the rent uh, for the apartments is also here is cheaper you can get something for super nice like two bedroom for in city downtown or like new building thousand dollars and it would be an amazing place which would cost uh, like three times probably more i'm more aware of the new york real estate but for something like that i would back in the day i was paying uh like six seven thousand per month and here you can get for, for a thousand which gives you a lot of saving for fun and, and travel and especially if we talk about like uh, restaurants, they hear the service here is amazing. The food is also amazing, amazing. And there is a lot of like very conceptual restaurants you can try. And what's changed a lot and was also kind of uh, hard for me back in 2014, when I moved, there was not there many cuisines comparing to New York, right? There is a saying that you don't have to travel the world if you live in New York because you have everything there. And now it's also coming here. It's not to the, the same level. But you have, you know, most of the things you can think of, you can have here and then in a super high quality, very conceptual. And uh, there is a lot of like places where is it trying to play with the recipes, they twist the cocktails and it's super high, high quality. How's the level of English? So if I don't uh, speak the local language, language uh, uh, can I survive there? You know, are there, for example, the street signs in English as well, or you know, what's the what's the level in the in bigger cities that how, how easy it is to actually communicate? If you're in a bigger city, if you're on downtown, I think you don't get in the trouble there. Especially if you're talking to people who look twenty, thirty, the younger they look, the more uh, chances that they speak English. So you will be fine, especially if you go outside of the city, rural area, of course, you're going to get in, in the trouble. Uh, but uh, a lot of stuff you you can deal with just without any people. You have Uber, you have Bolt, you have the local uh, car services that works on the same principle as uh, as Bolt. Actually, the Bolt took the model from Ukrainian Uklon, and they officially recognize it that they... <laughs> That was that was the model. So you, you can have a lot of services without any need to ask uh, anyone. You can get like grocery delivered to your uh, to your apartment of, of stuff from pharmacy. You can use the courier to deliver everything you you want. So you can pretty much easily 
getaway was you know was not without even speaking to anyone ordering apartments uh booking uh you know train or airbnb everything is working here and it's it's working super super well let's say that um, the war ends in uh, end of this year how does the ukraine maybe the startup scene as well will look like in in five years yeah well i think it's very simple already we have more startup uh, more unicorns than all our neighbors and i think this gap is going to be even bigger i'm not talking about estonia but i'm talking uh, our direct neighbors so i'm um, i'm thinking ukraine is going to be a number one startup ecosystem in the eastern europe maybe even in central europe because if you look at uh, the numbers for countries, uh, like we are still way way ahead. So I think it's going to be kind of the, the focal point for the for the region and the number one place to go. Uh, I believe we're gonna get more specialized in the vertical terms, and especially I do think like the robotics is going to be one thing and uh, drones, uh, AI, ML. It's going to be big and like deep deep tech stuff because a lot of funds are looking in Ukraine right now, especially deep deep tech, and looking for anything they can get from here because there is a global shortage of the talent in this field, and I believe Ukraine has a good potential to be one of the the best. And I also hope that Ukrainian uh, startup valuations will also kind of match uh, at least their Western European peers maybe even outmatch them because right now it's also it's good and bad for vcs it's a good thing but for startups is a bad thing right because uh there is a big gap let's say if we're talking about pre-seed stage pre-money here the range would be from 600k uh, to 1.5 mil and if we talk about the united states it's four to six million six million i believe it was average last year so I mean, you can have five, six X just <laughs> right there, and and that's uh, kind of the arbitrage opportunity. So if you're a Ukrainian founder, it's you're in the trouble. And then we're talking about comparing apples to apples, right? The the startup with the same traction, uh, with the product, was a was a good team, and U.S. peers just because they're in U.S. that that's the different. But also it's all opportunity in the same side because in the same time. Uh, the cost of doing business here is three, four times less for sure. And with this <laughs> four times less money, you can do the same stuff. And there is actually a very good uh, uh, article uh, from McKinsey. It's called Eastern European Wunderkind. So they're saying that uh, Ukrainian, Eastern, sorry, I wish Ukrainian, but they were talking about Eastern European B2B startups uh, per invested dollar get six times almost 5.6 times more revenues than u.s peers so which just explains this uh, opportunity that is here so i hope that ukrainian startups will start uh raising faster and easier there will be more trust for for ukrainian founders and it's going to be a big brand for bravery for agile for tech savvy savvy and uh they will be there will be more unicorns. 
and also Ukrainian GDP will be driven by Ukrainian startup scene. So they will be like number one for uh, for Ukrainian GDP. What is your favorite word? Achieve. What is your simple. least? What is your least favorite word? Impossible. <laughs> what turns you on, creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Say it again, please. What turns you on, creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? I like challenge. Like all my life, I must have a sport background, and for me, so when someone says it's impossible or if it's easy, uh, like if it's impossible, I'm saying, "Hey, challenge accepted," and that's that's why I like I, I like the challenges. I like impossible, like raising the fund sitting in Ukraine <laughs> during the war. I think it's it's not impossible, but it's a big challenge, right? So, <laughs> what turns you off? A uh, couple things. First is dishonesty, and second stupidity. And there, there is the joke: if you are uh, stupid and dead, it's the same, because everyone suffers and you don't know. <laughs> what is your favorite curse word? It's simple. It's F A U C K. <laughs> What sound or noise do you love? Sound or noise? I like the sound of aha moment, you know, when you're like, you were kind of thinking of something and then you finally figure out and you're like, yes, like the moment of enlightenment. Duh! You know, that's kind of, it's like super emotional and you cannot fake it because if it's, you know, if it's there, it's there. And if it's big, you kind of get this uh, kind of mental orgasm, if we speak so. What sound or noise do you hate? I don't like when someone complaining and everyone like a negative, like, oh, and, you know, that's, that's, the, that's the worst sound. I don't like when someone wants to, to be pity and get, you know, all of this kind of support so for me it's kind of uh, it's turning off for, for sure I'll, I'm a very kind of direct and straight person so I, I like when it says like hey this is the problem but I need the solution but not when someone is trying to you know just oh I have a trouble blah 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 so that for me it turns just into like single noise which is like just goes past by my ears and I, I don't hear it what profession other than your own would you like to attempt Ah, that's a, that's going to be something new because in my experience, my professional experience, I tried different things uh, and different fields. And I mean, from being assistant to the member of parliament to the in Canada and kind of being on the diplomatic track and uh, working the consulate general of, of Ukraine in Toronto in economic trade mission to having my own radio show in Vancouver. You know, trying to get on a break into the Wall Street and, you know, all of the kind of uh, investment banking in the States and having like, my own boutique investment bank in Ukraine and then turning into kind of the startups. And I think 
it's hard to say I'm happy where I am. Uh, maybe I will turn back because I'm operator and startup founder turned to be a VC. And maybe in some point of time, I'm going to switch the table and become entrepreneur again as a startup founder. So that's, and the field, uh, I always, uh, I'm very passionate about space and uh, conquering the space. So maybe I'll be uh, building a startup in some, something related to the space tech. What profession would you not like to do? Being government official. <laughs> I was working and then it's, uh, I was working on reforms in Ukraine when I moved back from New York in 2014, uh, we started, I was supposed to join the team of uh, minister of economy and we were, and then the guy resigned and we were like a, a cool team. So we were like, what should we do? So we launched an NGO on deregulation of economy and uh, covering all sectors of economy. And then I started my own NGO with uh, also some people from private equity partners. And there was a kind of cool uh, team of the founders. And we were doing like a, like, a, like a SWOT task force for Ministry of Agriculture and doing different sorts of stuff from uh, evaluation of and uh, diligence on the government-owned companies to drafting the laws and uh, looking for the bottlenecks in the system. So, but it's, it's like a jello when you start working, you know, energized and you're kind of, Hey, you should do this. And you start talking to the government officials that are not motivated and don't want to change the system. You just poke in. It's like a jello. It goes like waves, but then if you keep on that poking, it just comes down and like nothing happened. And then there is a big even bigger uncertainty, even comparing to startup world in terms of the result. To change something, you have to kind of lobby, prepare the draft bill, get it passed, and then kind of implement it. And it's just getting to the point to get it passed through the parliament. It's it's super heavy. And then it's the second hardest thing is just to make it work, not to be and the you and the factor, right? So for me, it's like, uh, it's maybe when I'll be 60, 70 years old, I will say, Hey, this is, I like when things go slow and you know, this kind of pace. Now I'm not into this. I I'm trying to, to change things where you can change it quickly and, uh, with a bigger impact. You could be a co-founder of any startup in any era, which one would you choose? Ooh, that's a tough one. If I would be a startup co-founder, I would join PayPal Mafia. <laughs> <laughs> Any final words to the audience? Final words. Uh, please support Ukraine. We need your help. Uh, don't let Russian propaganda to affect your countries, to affect your neighbors, to even affect you, because there is going to be a lot of disinformation. Uh, please keep spreading the word about Ukraine and uh, because we need your support now and uh, we will need it even more because you're going to pay extra with your credit card for the gas and, and uh, energy this year, uh, this winter and we're paying with our lives and bloods. So, uh, there is a big difference and I think we, we can all accept that, uh, there is price to pay and we'll 
only together we can get rid of the white walkers from the north and ukraine is a shield that is holding europe so please every day ask yourself what you did to help ukraine and if you are related to the startups uh look at the ukrainian startup scene also i'm raising my fund we can do a lot of things uh, great things together uh, at the same time slava ukraini heroyam slava <laughs> and petri thanks a lot for inviting me it's a pleasure and i actually appreciate <laughs> you a lot doing this and uh, helping and introducing me to the people the great people in uh, estonia that uh, supporting ukraine a lot my pleasure and, and and thank you andrew for sharing there was so much stuff we spoke about and i know there was so much stuff we did not spoke about but you know maybe it's a good to have another session later on but uh, i think the audience got an idea already uh what you are capable of and what's happening in ukraine and what's waiting for ukraine when we get past the war definitely so, i would love to do another one in some point of time so that's all for today. Thank you, everyone, and till next time.